DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're brought to you in part by Davis Vision. The Davis Vision Spring LASIK Sale is going on now. Get rid of those contacts and glasses and save $1,000. Start your road to better vision at Davis Vision. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call them today at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. All right, so right before the break, PK was saying he's got a bias against uh, transfer quarterbacks and maybe he shouldn't. Well, I think he had a bias, PK, because you watch a lot of football, you follow a lot of teams for one reason or another. I mean, you're following Utah and BYU and Utah State here. Living here, it's hard not to. The games are on. You're surrounded by, um, you know, fans, certainly fans of two of the schools. But, but the more the Aggies win, the more the Aggie fans come out of the woodwork, and we get to talk to them, too. If you were here 20 years ago, there weren't very many Aggie fans. But it's no growing. Under the, under the bleachers? No, they're out from under the bleachers and all the shame of some of those hideous seasons. The last decade's really gone pretty well. It's been a different story than what came before it. So, and you got the LA ties, so you're following those two schools, and you, you follow the two Arizona schools because you live there. And of course, as people move around, then you're following those people because they're in programs, and you've known Jay Hill a long time. So, if you do the math, and we're not doing the math here, but if I think if you do the math on the transfer quarterbacks, your bias is built in and it's real and it's it's mostly on target because most of the transfer quarterbacks don't pan out. But some of them do. And some of them are pretty spectacular. And uh, who's the best? I, I think I know your answer to this, but who is the best transfer quarterback you've seen locally in your 25 or so years here? I think there's a clear one and two, and I'll see. I want to see if you put them in the same order. Well, do you put uh, junior college guys in there? Yes. Because you're just talking BYU, Utah, Utah State. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Because you have uh, Steve Sarkeesian was very good. Mm hmm. And he was a junior college transfer. But El I, Camino. I don't think you're going to put him as number one. Their coach uh, Featherstone, who was there for a long time, he recently passed. He had some. Uh, Alzheimer's things going on. It was a tragic situation. Frank Dolce's talked about that, uh, but he has passed on. I thought you'd uh, go Max Hall number one. Um, well, I was thinking. Yeah. Well, and I was then I biased the competition. I was going to go through the list. Uh, Max Hall certainly has to be up there. I was just focusing on BYU because I don't think Utah has had a lot of success there since I've been here. Uh, Troy, Troy Williams would be the, the best one they've had. Okay. Yeah, and that was an interesting situation with Troy starting and then mm-hmm. losing his job after winning nine games, and they bring in a new coordinator and things change. I'm guessing he didn't like that change in coordinators there. <laughs> uh, he would have preferred Aaron Roderick stay on the job. So okay, yeah, that's fine. I can I can go with those. Yeah, uh, Brad Brad Sorensen down at SUU. And I think that um, you know we can't even list all the transfers who have come through here. Um, but there just haven't been that many. So I think your bias is natural. But I think now you got to kind of break them into, into three groups. And the one group that you really need to let the bias go from, but this didn't happen for a long time, so we haven't seen a lot of it, is you know, Charlie Brewer is coming in with a track record. right? Two years ago, yes. he had 21 touchdowns and only seven picks. Mm-hmm. That is a new deal in college football in the last three to five years. You didn't get transfers like that. The other transfers go into two groups, and I think they're the more traditional guys. And because guys are willing to move and because we're about to have a change in the rules here and guys aren't going to have to sit out a year, 
I mean, we've already had the grad transfer thing. That was a little bit of a change. But now it's going to be open season, and apparently everybody's going to be able to transfer once without sitting out a year. So we're seeing a, a higher caliber of quarterback transfer. I still think the majority of guys are transferring because they went somewhere and they're not good enough, and they go somewhere else, and you got to adapt to the season, and yet there's another good group of quarterbacks that are a year younger, that are two years younger coming in. And so I still think most of those guys are going to struggle. But the better schools are stockpiling talent in a way they never did. I think quarterbacks are less afraid of competition, but then once they lose the competition— or they're surprised because they got sold a bill of goods and things aren't really how they were told they were going to be. They're going to look to transfer. So there's going to be more talent out there. Most of them are still going to miss. And that's kind of the third group. And that's the group you've traditionally looked at and thought, I'm not going to get worked up about these quarterbacks. They're probably not going to work. But I do think this second group is going to be a bigger group of guys who have real talent, but because a, a school actually landed two guys with real talent – and only one of them can play, the other one's going to transfer. And there's going to be more of those stories out there. And then you've got this, the first group, which is the priority, which is what you want most of the time is, hey, bring in a guy who's already proven, and we know, we don't know his ceiling, but we know his floor. You know, he's just not going to come in and throw 15 or 20 picks. He's not going to. That's not who he is. Okay, yeah, and I'm open to the idea of quarterbacks going to another school or going to a school knowing that there's a logjam at the start mm-hmm. or they've recruited another kid in your very same class who has as many or more stars as you. <laughs> right. And so uh, with the ability to leave, particularly at this position, and this position is the most unique in that only one kid plays, unlike the other positions where you can feel like you have some opportunity to uh, – you contribute even even if you're not the full time starter, you can still contribute, right? And so you feel good about when your team wins in the locker room, and and you you play had a the, role, yeah, yes, and you, you you can feel good about it, yep. Uh, especially if you're a freshman and sophomore, knowing your time could come. Quarterbacks an entirely different animal, and so you're recruiting these quarterbacks, and now I don't really know what to think on any of them as far as their uh, long term future in the program. I, I don't know. Like this kid here from uh, SoCal that the Utes have got. Costelli? He's a freshman now. Yeah. Is it, would I be shocked if uh, in a year or two he leaves? No. Not at all. And But, I mean, I don't blame these kids for running around trying to go because you get one shot and, you know, you, you want to play, play yep. and all that stuff. I and mean, we're seeing with basketball, even if even if you go down a level, what's it? I saw something to this morning that uh, the Connor Harding kid was talking about transferring to UVU. Fine. Get out on the floor. You got one, you're, not, you're probably not going to play in the NBA. What difference does it make? So uh, get out on the floor. So I understand what they're doing. And that increases the level of competition, which we've always heard is good, and that's what it's about, blah, blah, blah. And that's what Utah has done, which I think in the long term is going to benefit the program. I can't tell you who's going to be the starter next season, not this this coming season, but the season afterward, right? But I feel good about the fact that they'll have somebody that they feel good about. And it's not, well, we just got to put somebody out there and he's the best of the lot. No, they're not. I think they're dealing from a position of strength, which is good news. And who knows, too, really, now in college football, trying to talk about who's going to be your quarterback in 2022? <laughs> no idea. Who knows, man? No he, he's idea. probably He could very well be in some program right now that we don't even think about. I mean, the Brewer transfer, 
from my perspective anyway, sort of came out of definitely came out of left field. Yep. I didn't expect that to happen, but yet it did. And and if he plays well, good for Utah. Yeah, and I think that even if they don't get another transfer in, and they might, and it might be out of the blue, no one, you know, who knows, knows, right? right. Uh, There were, you know, plenty of coaching changes, and you never know what's going to happen. So, but even if it doesn't happen, there's three guys behind him, and, you know, I do think the situation where guys transfer, but then they get beat out by a younger guy coming up, I don't know that that's going to happen in the Utah program, but that's the scenario for Costelli versus, you know, both of the kids who are transferring from Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe the transfers went out, but maybe the younger guy come in, comes in and, you know, Jackson get, couldn't play in Texas and he gets beat out again here. Who's, you know, who's to say? Right, you know? right, right. So you don't. You don't know. I think this is where Harding was on talking about the O-line, and O-line isn't the most exciting thing, but he talked transfers, and I think he talked the truth. I think he also tipped his hand on how coaches have to coach their room, is that he said, our guys, I think they get tired of me talking about the 2016 group, but they played four different centers. And if you go back, they they had a decent season. I can't remember, was that a 9 or 10 win team? But that was a decent team in 2016. And... They had to play four centers. And so his message is, I'm going to get graded on wins and losses. No one, expl- there's no explaining why Kyle went five and seven, right? He went five and seven twice. If he'd have done it a third time, there would have been a new coach. It, it, no one cares about your problems, Kyle says, and this is a perfect example. Well, because they had depth in the room, because the guys got coached up, and because the guys who were buried on the depth chart never stopped improving, they were ready to step in at the minute they needed them when they had to play four different centers. And so you've got to educate your guys. You've got to draw up, if you're a quarterback, and draw up this list of, hey, over the last 10 years, you know, the starters only played every game three times. The third string guy has played in five of these seasons. You've got to drop those numbers and tell those stories. And what happens is the older guys on the team, you know, the, the freshman and sophomore won't, but the older guys on the team can look at the younger guys and go, when he mentions that guy, I, I know two of those guys. I played with them. Yeah, they really did go through this. And so it's like the guys have to be – I think they're trying to coach these guys up mentally and emotionally to be smarter and more mature because a lot of these stories make sense to you and I because with every passing decade, you see the same stuff happen over again, so you get how stuff works because you just keep seeing it. But we forget these 19-year-olds, they don't have that. They don't know that. What we know from 10 years ago, and they were nine, they don't care. <laughs> you know, Kyle's five and seven seasons are pretty fresh to some Ute fans, but they are ancient history, the freshmen and sophomores and kids who are getting recruited. Yeah, and they came at the right time early in the tenure of the Pac-12, mm-hmm. so you could write it off. You could explain it's it. It's obvious they needed an adjustment. And uh, to me, I think that the success of this team is breeding itself, which is why Charlie Brewery just talked about it well, two years ago when the Baylor was going to the Sugar Bowl he knew that the Utes and themselves, the Baylor Bears, mm-hmm. were right yep. five, six, and whatever that, uh, whatever it was uh, in the uh, playoff uh, ranking there. That, that bodes well for Utah. I think uh, overall, no matter who plays, Utah's in a good spot to win games. That's all the fans care about. And so they're in a good spot to compete for another South division, and then we'll see about uh, who, who wins the North. And first, obviously, they got to win the South. But going into the season – I think that's all you can really ask for. You know, a couple of years ago, they were the overwhelming favorite, and I think that's the exception from a Utah program 
because I think if there's going to be an overwhelming favorite in the South, more often than not, it's going to be SC. That year, it was you, and, and you cashed in in it. But in a regular year, a more traditional going forward, you want to be in a position to compete for the opportunity to win the South. And I think the Utes are right there. And they, they, they even if they're picked third in the poll, it's, it's irrelevant to me. It doesn't matter. Somebody's got to be picked first and second and third and so forth. But the point is that they are, I believe, as we sit here right now, in finishing up spring ball and getting ready for what we hope is a normal spring, summer, off season and a normal training camp and normal season in, in September, they are in position to compete. And if I'm a fan, that's exactly what I want, and that's exactly, I think it's, it's exactly where they are. All right, we got breaking news. Do we get the sounder, Yak? No, I can't Almost. really celebrate this. I, I can't get it. I, I, don't worry about it. This doesn't fire you up. But injury news is always depressing, even if it's the other team. Uh, Jamal Murray diagnosed with a torn ACL in his left knee. He'll be out indefinitely. Uh, nobody really wants to say it, but I think that's what everybody thought when they saw him hit the ground. The well, amount of pain he was in. You have experience in that, and that's yeah. what you, you recalled on a yep. firsthand basis. I've only had my heart broken. That's it. hey uh, Yeah. Uh, I wish I was kidding. but uh, I know. <laughs> anyway, uh, sure, yeah, that's a, that's a major, major blow. Obviously, it just is. They're listing it out indefinitely. Yeah. Uh, An ACL is guaranteed six months, so that's October yeah. 13th. Uh, and the way the NBA works, there is no reason to rush him back. So if that no. turns into a seventh or eighth month or whatever it turns into based on how his rehab goes, you know, so be it. I think it's pretty clear he's going to miss the start of some portion of the start of next season. And there's no way to know now. That's why they say indefinitely. Whether it's 10 games or 20 or 30, who knows? Oh, if he came back and was full strength by January, I think the Nuggets would sign off on that right now. That would be a win. That'd be good uh, enough, absolutely. Yeah, but it's a major blow for them in the postseason because they uh, they were a player, man. They were you, you obviously you got the yoke man in the middle. He's awesome, and the addition of Gordon and the other guys and so forth. They were a player, and they were going to they were going to be a tough out in the postseason. I wasn't going to pick them to win the title. But they were going to be a tough out. I don't think there's any question about that. Whoever got them, whatever round you got them, you were going to have to be at the top of your game. Now, I don't know necessarily that they fall off the map completely, but still uh, expecting them to overcome this. I can make this akin to a Bogdanovich's situation in terms of his absence. Now, the injury itself is far more serious than what Bogdanovich had. Uh, so we understand that. But in terms of just the uh, loss in the lineup, uh, I, I think you're losing at the time. Bogdanovich was their second-best scorer, clearly, obviously. Here's, and that's the same deal with Murray. And he, Murray has the ability to go for 40, and I know it's just a bubble situation in which he did it, but I think he has the ability in any situation to do it. So I can't overestimate how big of a blow this is and it sucks for the nuggets and it sucks for the individual even though some of that should be written off to the bubble um just because you're not going to go out there and score 50 and average 40 doesn't mean you aren't capable of going out there and dropping 43 in some important game and averaging 30 right you know which i think he was say right is this is worst case scenario for the nuggets this is a this is a huge hit. I mean, there's some sliver. You're hoping it's not going to be that bad when they do the MRI. But it, when he's laying on the floor, this was the worst-case scenario, you know, that it's going to be the ACL. So 
I, I'm with you. It's. I think they had a chance to win the championship. I don't think it was a great shot, but they were a legit contender. I think the thing is when you add an Aaron Gordon, everybody sees the possibilities. It's like he's not good enough to carry a team, but, man, if he's the third or fourth best player on the yeah, floor, yeah, look yeah. out. And with his skill set, you just know he's a tremendous athlete. When he goes back door, he can beat you. And he can jump over the help that's coming. And Jokic is going to put the he's going to put the ball right on his numbers. He's going to put it right on his forehead. You know, and, and we were seeing that in the highlights. The thing that happens with the midseason trade, whether it's Hornacek back in the day with the Jazz, Gasol, you know, with the Lakers, they didn't. The Lakers didn't win the first year they had him. They won the second and third. I still think that this deal for the Nuggets is better down the line than it was this year. I think this year was too soon. So I, I mean. It's hard to put a positive spin on an ACL, but better now than in a year or two. Oh, because yeah, I agree you do with you. come back from ACLs. Lots of guys have, and he will. You know? Yeah, he will. He's young so, enough. Right, He's exactly. He's like 24, right? So I guess that's the silver lining for the Nuggets. Well, and you'd go back to the Hornacek thing and the Gasol thing. Okay, did, did the Lakers lose in the finals with Gasol that first they year? Did, yeah. and, did, and did the Jazz lose in the conference finals? They did. In the they first did. year? So, back so to that's tough going out. a long way. <laughs> right. That's it. Back to being a tough out when you're in a conference final and an NBA final. It helped. But then with Hornacek, you know, they followed up with a 60-win season and that first-round yeah, yeah. loss. And then they were in a Game 7 of the conference final. And then they had the two NBA finals. So And they, they were on a 60-win path in that 50-game season. So the Hornacek thing kept paying off for five more years. And yes. Aaron Gordon's young enough, and Jokic is young enough, and Murray is young enough. Like, if you're a Jazz a fan and you, and you— Porter's young enough, right. If you're a Jazz fan and you feel the, the Nuggets, it's like, yeah, and they're probably not going anywhere. I mean, I can't guarantee anything because Oklahoma City traded Harden because they didn't want to pay everybody. Uh, they didn't think they could pay everybody. Um, I think if they had a chance to redo it, they might redo it differently, but, you know, you get one shot and, and they took theirs. Um, but this Nuggets team, even though stuff can get screwed up in the future, it's, it looks good for five years for these guys. And that's a long time in the NBA. Mostly we don't like to look beyond three. I, I would agree with you unless Jokic realizes that his future is coming over here to the other side of the mountains and being a backup to Gobert. <laughs> Those two could play alongside each other because he can shoot the three. True. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, and that's not happening. Jokic is locked down. He's got his money, and I bet he's not going anywhere. I think the Nuggets are going to be a very good team uh, for several years, and then we'll just have to see if they turn out to be a great team and a championship team. But at minimum, they're going to be very good. But the Nuggets are going to go into this postseason without Jamal Murray. They're sitting fourth in the West. Maybe the Lakers catch them in their five. Maybe they catch the Clippers and get to three. They, they ought to finish somewhere in that three, four, five range, even without Jamal Murray. But that's a, that's a big loss for them and bad news. Predictable, yes. I think most people feared it when he hit the ground, but uh, still mm-hmm. bad yep. news to have it confirmed. All right, when we come back, everything you missed in this show, we'll get you up to speed. Stay with us. A lot of reaction to the Jazz loss, and it is all over the map. Stay with us. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone. In the Zone Sports Network. That was tough. I'm not gonna lie. That was that was a tough part 
uh, for me. I feel like I'm, I'm a planner. Um, I like to have things planned out and, you know, what the next step was going to be. And, and just the uncertainty there was for lack of a better term, driving me insane. When I found out it was just such a relief, um, to, to just find out the news and, and understand where my, where my next stop was going to be. Had Sam Darnold joining the Panthers, and he was happy the trade happened. It felt like it was going to happen, so he just wanted to get on with it already. So we'll see how Sam Darnold does now as he's got to compete for that job in Carolina. And obviously in New York, they'll keep one eye on Carolina while they see how their new quarterback does. And right now we're anticipating their new quarterback will be a BYU guy. Maybe they'll cross everybody up on draft day, but I don't think so. And as long as we're talking about the NFL PK... The uh, David Locke has just tweeted out that I might have had more of an NFL timeline for Jamal Murray returning, and the basketball timeline could be slower. I was talking about it's a minimum of six months, kind of the six to nine month window is when I see football players coming back. But Locke's tweeted out that in basketball, there are a lot of guys who are getting more towards 12 months. So Locke's point is this is going to impact them prepping for next year's playoffs depending on what date is set for the playoffs, but under the theory that you need you know, 30, 40, 50 games together to, to get rolling, and he needs time to scrape the rust off when he comes back, that this is going to impact him deep into next season. Um, and I was more, I know football players, it was Heinz Warren who got hurt at the start of the season and came back for a Super Bowl. You know, football players got it down to nine months and was shortened it to six, but you know, all the cutting and all the landing and jumping and on hardwood, not on grass, maybe it goes a little slower for basketball players. So we'll see how that plays out for Jamal Murray on the other end of this. Well, if this is a regular, regular season, the playoffs would be starting this weekend. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we're right there. Um, but they're moved back a month this year, and we'll see what they set for a calendar next year if they want to, you know, go right back to what it was or stay with this or split the difference and – They'll probably want to see how things play out. Play out with the rest of this season before they make that call, I would think. So Jamal Murray torn ACL, so he is out for uh, an indeterminate amount of time, but he's out indefinitely for the Nuggets. It'll be a while. Uh, then NBA last night, he got hurt in the end of the Warrior game. Steph Curry became Golden State's all-time leading scorer. I'm not surprised because Wilt didn't play his whole career for the Warriors, uh, but I got to admit when I saw a graphic about it took Steph more than 300 more games to catch Wilt because Wilt was averaging like 41 points a game while he was with the Warriors. That was a little eye-popping. And there was a really good quote from uh, George Gervin, the Iceman, about he says Wilt was so good. He's like, delve into the record book, and then you find out that Wilt is the record book. He says it will humble you very quickly. That's a good quote from George. Well, yeah, you look at the statistics that Will Chamberlain put up, but they'll never be matched again. No, they won't. They won't. And, uh, you know, there's an argument who changed the NBA more. You know, Wilt's one of a handful of players who popularized a regional eight-team league and made it into a uh, national league that had more than 20 teams. I don't I I think probably at 22, I think, when he retired, somewhere around there. Um, and, but then you got Steph, who revolutionized the game. You know, the, the three-pointer took a massive step forward. I mean, when he was shooting it, there were guys shooting it, but there weren't teams that's entire offense revolved predominantly around the three. You know, in baseball or in football, we talk about do you run the ball to set up the pass or do you pass the ball to set up the run? Okay, the Utes, they run the ball to set up the pass, right? There's no doubt. Well, in the NBA now, you got to look at teams. Do you 
run your offense with a three to set up everything else. I think we can argue that's what the Jazz do. The Spurs for a long time have been more in a, you know, with DeMar DeRozan and with Aldridge, who's now gone, they'd been more in a, uh, hey, we run the two and that sets up the three for us. But we're looking for a lot of mid-range jumpers. Well, that was never a discussion until Steph and Klay Thompson and the Warriors popularized the three. And the Rockets went all in on it and, you know, copycat league stuff. Now we're seeing the, the numbers just go off the charts. Well, I think Steph Curry, what he's doing and what he has done, he might have the prettiest offensive game in the history of the NBA. Because when he's on, wow. I mean, that shot <laughs> yeah. and all the stuff that he can do with it is and just it's just amazing. He was on last night. He hit three early. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, he said, because I, I didn't see the post-game interview live, but I saw it replayed later, and he said um, – he said something about, you know, it was basically cliches and blah, blah, blah. And the whoever was the analyst said, you just lied to us because I thought once you hit those first three, you decided I'm going to get the record and get it out of the way early in the game here, and I'm not going to look to pass. I'm feeling it. I'm just going to fill it up. And Steph started laughing. He goes, yeah, you got me. And the guy said, well, when was it? He goes, it really was the third one. When the third one went in, I thought, yep, I'm just going to do this. And who can say that? But he's hitting these crossover step backs, and everybody's imitating him. I and mean, there were time. There was a time when we wondered, okay, how long does it take Donovan Mitchell to add this? It didn't take very long at all. And we don't even talk about it when he starts hitting step back threes. And he's not alone. You know, all across the league, that move. You know, guys are copying it, and guys are getting good at it. Uh, not to his level, but yeah, it's a weapon. You you should practice it particularly with the shot clocks going down. And we see with Mitchell, since we watch him every, every shot he takes, we know when he's going to do it because we see the shot clock mm-hmm. and we know he's not going to pass. So we know what's coming. We can anticipate the move that he's going to make. Well, it messes with the defender, too, because you're stepping back. So if you go to close out and kind of lunge at him with the clock running down, they're going to jump in and get three free throws. You know, I don't know that – I mean, Curry does it. I think Harden really perfected and popularized it. That might be the one thing that – uh, you know, Curry had Curry more copied from somebody else, I think. Maybe it's just the way me watching when it registered with me. Um, but I think you're right about Curry is just so graceful and elegant. You know, he's not, he's not as big as the other guys, so he's just naturally not going to have the power element to his game. I mean, nobody attacks the rim the way Westbrook does, right? But who, maybe Lillard, who really looks that smooth shooting the ball 25 to 30 feet from the hoop. I mean, it's ridiculous when he's on. Nobody. Yeah. Elsewhere in the NBA, uh, the Nuggets lose, uh, the Mavericks lose, the Lakers lose, the Jazz lose. Uh, Four of the five teams, uh, playoff teams, playing last night in the West. Five of the top seven played, and four of them lost. The Suns pick up a game on everybody, get the separation from the teams behind them, and move within a game and a half of the Jazz. Now, the Suns, and you've probably heard the guys on Phoenix Radio talking about this, PK, 12 of 16 on the road against some pretty good teams to close the season. So it's still an uphill battle for them to catch the Jazz. And if the Lakers in that 4-5 series, i got to wonder if the Suns will engineer their way to the other end of the bracket at the end of the year. We've seen multiple teams do that the last couple of years. Wouldn't be surprised if it happened again. Well, what do you mean? They're already in that, right? Right, but if they catch the Jazz or have a chance to catch the Jazz, either way, um, Chris Paul might really need to be rested. 
And honestly, Chris Paul might need to be rested anyway. <laughs> so they'd have, a, they'd have a strong argument. They've got the built-in excuse ready if they want it. And they may not want it, and they may not need it and all that stuff. But Yeah, I mean, they really are rolling the Suns. It's still you know, well into the season, 700 ball. No yep. way. No way we thought that was going to happen. This for, for long-time Suns fans, and I'm sure we don't have a lot of listeners who are, but I think this is the uh, a comparison to when they had that drug scandal and, yes. and they uh, yes. brought in Chambers and Hornacek, Hornacek. was a young, young mm-hmm. player and all. They sort of came out of left field and were really good, and I think they beat the Lakers. Uh, and I, Oh, I was a huge Suns fan because I was taunting all the guys at the Daily Breeze because they beat the Lakers in the playoffs, but then they lost to Portland, I think it was. In, in a conference final, and so it's sort of you, – you, you thought they might be good, but you didn't think they'd be this good. And that's I who think, the Suns are. Yeah, I think, most, I think the most optimistic people had the Suns battling for 4-5-6. That, that was the high end of prediction for the Suns. The fact that they're two with a legit opportunity to get to one, maybe not a good one, but it's legit. It's a game and a half. They've got the tougher schedule, and they're a game and a half back. Um, but they do have the tiebreaker. They're playing well, well. And if you're playing yeah. 700 ball, you're basically on a 58-win pace in an 82-game season. So that's usually top two or three in the league, and they are number two in the league right now. So it's, it's the real deal. And I think the bigger story is they're two up on the Clippers in the Pacific Division, and they got a chance to get a Pacific Division championship. I just can't follow this many division races. It's just uh, emotionally, it's too overwhelming. I mean, you're trying to get me into the Northwest Division race. But, you know, maybe I can give that up now that Jamal Murray is hurt and the Jazz have that cushion, five games, six games, whatever it is. Because I'm not following it that close because it's a division race. But they're in a, a dogfight for the Pacific Division championship with the Clippers. I mean, mm-hmm. the Lakers five and a half back, uh, probably not going to get there. But uh, coming down the stretch, yeah, All right, stop. to win that division. Okay. All right, that's good. Thank it's you. there. I'm looking at the standings right now. <sighs> Why? <laughs> I mean, I know you can because... click on the bubble on the internet that says division, but I clicked on conference no. a long time ago, and I just don't change it. Well, what actually what I did was I had the Suns and I had the and I had the Western Conference, and I clicked on the Suns individually because you brought up their schedule, mm-hmm. and then over on the right. It had the it division, yeah, the, it does. And I yeah. thought, oh, I got an opportunity to bring this up and make some <laughs> stupid nonsense again because it showed up. I wasn't yeah. looking for it. It just showed up. A certain amount of every successful morning show is stupid nonsense. <laughs> Teams used to hi- hi- hang banners yes, on that, but man. there used to be four divisions, and that meant that probably at least two, if not three, of the division champs had a legit chance to win the NBA championship. Now we have six divisions, and you know we're ruling out. In most years, we're rolling it rule out at least two, if not three, of the division champs. Yeah, but we normally don't ever rule out the Pacific Division champion because it's usually the Lakers, and who rules out the Lakers? Yeah. Right? Except right, if you're a Suns fan, you got to take it wherever you can get it, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, anything else you want to uh, – anything you got from the Utes today? We heard from uh, Kyle Whittingham, from Jim Harding, and from Charlie Brewer. Anything you want to add? Anything you want to summarize for a Ute fan there? Uh, let's have no injuries in these next three practices and uh, get to the offseason and do your workouts and get ready for August training camp because at this point, uh, that's really all I want to have happen is nobody get any serious injury because they and Kyle said they're having a full practice today 
and then a lighter practice Thursday, and then that scrimmage on Saturday, their spring game. Which and, some key guys will be held out of. <laughs> yeah, hopefully the weather's nice. I think the fact that it's just a return of 6,500 folks get to go in the stadium, give it give it some a little a more juice than it normally would have, and then say goodbye to the formal stuff, and then we just wait out the summer and – then when it gets here in August, man, I'll be fired up big time. Well, it'll be interesting to see how deep the Jazz go because summer could be shorter than ever with the playoffs a month later and the Jazz poised for what should be an interesting and possibly deep playoff run. You know, the, the end of the Jazz season to the start of college football media days and first day of practice and all that, it could be shorter than ever. Might only be a week. Yeah, or two because I in the lot. the draft and free agency, which are you know highlights of the summer, they got to be squeezed in there somewhere too. So and Jazz will have some decisions to make, as every team does always. Yep, some more important decisions than others. Uh, but yeah, I'm expecting a deep playoff run. I mean, you win the Northwest Division Championship, you should be able to go deep. DJ and PK, I'm ignoring that. Brought to you in part by Davis Vision. Davis Vision Spring LASIK Sale is going on now. Get rid of these contacts and glasses. Save yourself $1,000. Start your road to better vision at Davis Vision. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call them today at 801-253-3080. 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. DJ and PK. Question of the day, why can't the best team in the NBA beat the lowly Washington Wizards? There are a lot of theories, a lot of scheduling, a lot of the team was tired, a lot of that. Vernon, though, says Russell Westbrook hates the Jazz and their fans, and he has it out for us every single time we play him. He went for a triple-double again, and every time he plays us, he plays his best game. Travis follows it up with, I'd hate Jazz fans too after all that's been said to him over the years. I've heard stuff that makes me cringe, and I am far from being nice. Westbrook clearly gets geared up for the Jazz, PK. And there was, there was absolutely an incident with the fan. He's not going to forget that. There was a playoff series. Uh, I don't sit down close enough to the court to know what was being yelled, but it was pretty loud in there. That was a pretty fiery series, so I wouldn't be surprised if he's uh, took some notes during that series and holds them against the Jazz. I think he's got uh, multiple motivations. Plus, uh, yeah. if you don't watch him all the time, he's a guy who plays pretty hard. You can say whatever you want about his shot selection and efficiency and all that, but nobody ever said Russell Westbrook doesn't play hard. He plays really hard. Uh, he plays angry, there's no doubt about it, and when he's got it going on and making the smart decisions, the athletic talent obviously is there. He's got to channel it in a positive way, and when he does that, uh, obviously he's really good, and Bradley Beal is consistent as far as his scoring. But that's not what beat them, though. It's these other dudes that came out of nowhere. Who's the one guy, what was his name, Dillard or something? I'd have to look at the box score. Had like, what do you have, 15, 16 points? Are you talking about Gafford? Are you talking about Gafford? Gafford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Daniel Gafford out of Arkansas, a guy we don't talk about. 22 years old, 6'10", a second-round draft pick, and he's lighting the Jazz up off the bench. And I thought the bench scoring, they put the bench scoring stat up during the game, but it's a little off because you've moved, you've lost one of your guys on a bench, and you've moved another guy on the bench who's really good into the starting lineup. So two leading scorers off the bench, duh. Yeah, right. But Gafford, Lopez, and Bertans all came off the bench for them and hit double figures. Those were the guys. Those were the guys. I expect Westbrook to do his thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so I can live with that. It was the other dudes that 
got under my skin and the success that they were having was something that I didn't anticipate. And that was, I think, that was the biggest problem, if I have to label it, from why the Wizards were able to win. From the Jazz perspective, they have their set of problems. But from the Washington perspective, those guys doing what they did, that was a surprise to me. Uh, we've got a lot of people here. Uh, Brad's one of them. He says, the Jazz do not match up very well with the Wizards, and sometimes it's all about the matchups. Okay, so the Jazz match up really well with most of the NBA, and there's like three or four teams they don't match up with. But the Lakers, the Nets, and the Suns are on the list. Well, that's not encouraging since they could play those three teams in three straight series. I don't know. I, I... Two games, is that really enough to make long-term assessments? I'm not sure. 0-2 against the Suns, 0-2 against the Wizards. Uh, The Lakers are a weird deal because you're about to play them twice without LeBron and AD, so I don't know what we can draw from that, but nobody really matches up with LeBron and AD. That's why they lifted the trophy last year. if you lose somebody in overtime, is it a bad matchup? Is it that bad? Right, yeah, right. Or was it one play that went against you? yeah. Because obviously it can go either way at that point. Yeah. But I think everything's relative, and Jazz fans say, listen, there's a lot of teams that are beaten by 10 to 20 points, so the fact you're even in overtime means you're having a problem with the matchup. But you know what? If you have a problem with the matchup and then you win by one possession, who cares? (laughs) Nobody's going to go back. Yeah, I didn't really enjoy winning that playoff series because they just barely won it. No. Right. Not against the team, the quality. I mean, if if you're in a seven-game series, one versus eight, sure, then you're going to say that. But I think okay. in the yeah, way yeah, the West yeah. shapes up after you get through that one versus eight, uh, and in the first round, if you're in a four, five, or three, six series, those series should be hard. Just, you know, the Nuggets were not worried that they barely beat the Jazz last year. They were pumped. It was a hard series. Well, I, I think what's going to be funny, and this is good funny, the Jazz, if they advance to the Western Conference Finals, it's like the first two rounds – uh, almost are going to be more of a relief rather than a joy. We took care of business of what we were supposed to do, so I don't know that you're going to see a lot of celebrating. Now, if it's a seven-gamer and somebody hits a game-winning bucket and all that in the moment, but I think that might the, the emotion might be more relief. It's like, okay, we've gotten past that. We've gotten to a place we haven't been in a good long while and haven't been at all with this group. Then, of course, if you win the, in the, win the Western Conference Finals – then jump up and down and go crazy because you're going to the NBA Finals, and that's awesome. All right, DJ and PK, we are out of time. Coming up next, it is Hands and Scotty, and we will see you tomorrow. Jazz and the Thunder tonight. Thunder have the exact same record as the Wizards, 20 and 33. The difference is they don't have the two stars at the top. They've lost six in a row and nine out of ten. So ought to be a different discussion tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow from 6 to 10 on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.